Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Bald Guy podcast with your host, Jeff Brown, and our guest, Dave Van Horn. Today, we're going to talk about the discounted note market with my guest, Dave Van Horn. Thanks for joining me, Dave. What's the current state of the discounted note market in general right now? Well, there's parts of it that are in the in the same state all the time, right? So there's always delinquent debt because of the four main reasons people default, which is death, divorce, job loss, and medical. So unless we have some kind of brilliant cure or you know that type of thing, and so a lot of times, there, so there's always discounted notes to to my point, but notes are a direct correlation to real estate value, so a lot of it is tied to that as well. So if the real estate market is doing very well, then the value of notes is high. And if the real estate market is down, then the value of notes is not as high. So it's kind of direct correlation there. There's still plenty of profitable assets. Some of the assets are a little bit higher priced than what they had been. And that was due largely to, you know, some of the real estate values coming back in, in pockets of the U.S. So. Got it. Though for sure the um, the 12% preferred return being given by the bald guy note fund is enticing. What would you tell accredited investors about investing in the fund if their minds are set on buying discounted first position notes? Are they available? I think now that the equity is coming back into the market and home values are rising, you know, the compliant and regulated funds, they're purchasing these assets in bulk and they tend to be holding on to more of the assets in their portfolios and in some ways, it makes it harder for the individual note buyer to find these notes. But it also, the counterbalance to that is it makes the, the funds that are managed well look more attractive. So I think there's pluses and minuses. It, right now, if the cost of notes gets too skewed, it gets to a point where it's better to be in the fund than own a note. This is really what it comes down to. You're going to make a higher yield in the fund than you would owning the note. And then the other side is the compliance and the um, the risk with owning the note. You have limited liability in a fund, right? You can't be sued. So you can't be sued as a, a junior class member of a fund. Whereas if you own a note and you did something to violate compliance, like say you hired a third-party vendor to collect on your note and they violated, I don't know, fair debt collection. Well, you could be sued for more than your investment. You could be sued for quarter million dollars because you, you know, and you might have bought the note for 30 grand or 50 grand. Right. So you're running that risk. And I don't know that folks know that all the time. So there's a lot of compliance risk. There's a lot of regulatory risk in the market right now, where in a lot of cases, it might make more sense to be in a fund because you don't have to worry about that. And then the other side of it is you're more diversified. Whereas if you own one note and that deal goes bad, all your eggs were in that one basket. Whereas if you're in a fund, your your risk is spread among a portfolio of notes. So so they're different investments. But, I mean, that's one of the things a lot of the high net worth guys like is that, hey, I'm diversified and I have a, a very, you know, limited liability. There's, you know, I'm not going to be sued and they're not going to come after my other assets if something were to go awry, you know. So. Is it difficult for the bald guy note fund to produce that 12% preferred return for their investors? No, I don't see that at all. We actually do a lot of case studies with first because a lot of them are REO exits. And that's the other issue with coming up with large quantities of reperforming first. Uh, what you're seeing in the marketplace is a, 
because of the regulators with the banks there and by the time the funds get to buy these pools of loans, a lot of attempts have been made to modify these. So what you're seeing is, especially with first mortgages, the majority of the pool is vacant, which means you're going to exit through the property as an REO. So you're, you're not going to see the volume of reperforming notes that you would see in, say, for example, with junior liens, where you're exiting mm -hmm. through the borrower more often. So it's a, it's a function of the marketplace and the type of assets that are coming your way. With first liens, there's tend to be more vacancies and you're going to exit through the pro property as an REO. So what does it cost the fund these days to acquire these non-performing notes from the banks? Well, because when real estate values go up or there's more competition for assets, you will see some of the pricing go up. But a lot of times the margins are still good. But that's another reason why funds holding assets makes more sense. So I'll give you an example. If the price of assets goes from $0.60 cents to $0.70 cents or $0.55 cents to $0.65, cents, for example, you can see that that's a dramatic increase. And what happens with a reperforming note especially is the longer you hold it, the more valuable it is. So if the fund were to sell that asset, if they held that asset for a year, it's more valuable. If they held it for two years and it has a pay history, it might actually start to trade at par. Well, if the fund had sold that asset in some cases, that would be, uh, wouldn't be intelligent. <laughs> right. Right. Because right. it's going up by itself. So there are cases where the fund would be selling assets too short for too low a price, which would jeopardize the fund investors, which you don't want to do. So it's a combination of things. And that's another reason why the preferred returns that high is that if I can sell the note in the marketplace with a lower return, get a higher yield for the fund, that's what ensures me to be able to pay that well, right? Exactly. So it's a, it's a little bit of a reverse, and it is a marketplace. It goes up and down. It's not something that stays stagnant. In 2007, we were still in an up market when we started, and then we went through a down market, and now we're starting to head into an up market. Now, there is a positive to that. So a lot of times people will say, well, the cost of notes are going up, and it's harder to find a lot of notes, which, I don't know, we're still finding plenty of notes. But the but what they don't realize is our whole portfolio. Like right now, we own well over six thousand loans. Well, our portfolio went up in value because of assets are trading more in the marketplace. But nobody talks about that, right, Jeff? So, right. Yeah, the, the two-sided coin is what I'm getting at. Would you please explain your take on the note investor buying non-performing notes themselves? Well, I think it depends on their goals and their level of knowledge, and the, you know. Sometimes I'll ask folks, are you looking for a second job or are you looking for passive monthly cash flow? You know, and do you want to foreclose on homeowners or do you want to receive a consistent return? I get a lot of times guys will be like, I'll give you an example. I had a gal one time who made like 350000 a year and she's in pharmaceuticals. And she's like, I want to work non-performing notes. And I'm like, really? Why? Because it's about a forty to 60000 a year job at a servicer. And when I think you, you put that in perspective, because it, it is, it's a job trying to uh, be an asset manager, right? Why do you want to be a lost mid person? And I don't know that people realize that that position, it, it's not like the most high, highest paying job in the world. Now, I get from the investment side, it might make sense. But there's also a lot of compliance, a lot of regulation, a lot of touches, and a lot of moving parts. So there's a lot of risk that goes along with that. If you're a savvy, high net worth individual, 
You really want to be in that world? I don't know. I'm mixed. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it would seem to me, too, that there's only two main agendas that a note investor would have in buying non-performing notes. One would be to do what my fund does, which is to try to uh, resurrect them and make them re-performing. And the other is to never do that and and buy that non-performing note for the express purpose of foreclosing and getting a hold of the real estate to then sell and make a profit. Correct. But but you also have a lot of legal involved. You have a lot of you have a lot of state regulatory risk too. So it's like, from an investor standpoint, I mean, I'm an I'm you know for years I was a real estate investor, right? So is it smarter to just go buy an REO, a bank owned property that already cleared through foreclosure? Because that just eliminated like all the risk. The risk is involved is when you're going through foreclosure with a borrower. That's where a lot of the risk is. So it's like, you know, why take on that? Uh, third, that it's like a third party risk. Why take on all that risk? Um, and I don't know that everybody looks at the risk. They're just looking at the yield or the reward or, you know, I'm getting a good price, but, you know, is it, re- is it really worth all that? I don't know. I mean, I'm mixed on that. So it's, uh, you know, I don't know. It, there's a reason their servicers exist and, and why, you know, the regulatory environment is pretty heavy right now. Um, well, and it, it all comes down to also, Dave, is that, uh, you know, they, you said and very astutely, I think, that these investors take a look at the, the much larger yield when they're buying these non-performers in order to get the real estate and make a bigger profit. But uh, uh, they ignore the other side of that coin. The higher the yield, the higher the risk. Well, there's more work, too. So there's more risk and more work. So it's. It's a trade-off. And no, I'm not saying don't do it. I mean, we, you know, our company does it. But then again, we do a lot of compliance, too. So it's, but I don't know that the small guy's doing that. And that's where I, where I get concerned for them. You know, it really is, it's really what are your goals and can you achieve your goals anyway? And some of it comes from, Jeff, I believe, how they earn their money. If they're a high-income earner, yeah, I don't know if all that third-party, all that extra risk is worth it. And and why would they want to do a job that is just, you know, a lower paying job than what they normally do? Um, now, if you're more of the real estate investor, entrepreneur, and you're a guy that has to touch every piece of real estate and all that, well, then I kind of understand a little bit more. But you still should be placing your assets with a servicer. And you should, if you're going down the licensing path and paying all the freight, you know, that's the cost of doing business that, you know, you better have some volume to push through your model. Uh, finally, Dave, would you please explain to the listeners the mechanics of the preferred return monthly distribution process? For a fund investor? Uh, well, for in this particular fund, it's a 12% annual return that's paid monthly either by ACH or it's sent by a check on the first business day of the month. And the good, ne- good news is there's no fees or commissions out of them. So. When you say ACH, would you give a quick definition of that? Uh, what automated clearinghouse? It's um, similar to a wire, but not no wire fee. So it would be, um, you know, a monthly payment from the bank right into your account. So whether the account was at a, at your bank or your IRA company's bank, it would just go automatically at the beginning of the month. An electronic deposit. Correct. Perfect. Perfect. A lot of people ask me about that, and I explain it, and and they get it, but they've never experienced it, so it's still new to them. Thanks a lot for joining us today, Dave. We really appreciate all the stuff you bring to the table when we talk about these things. 
Yeah, no problem. My pleasure, Jeff. We'll catch everybody next time. Thanks for listening to the Bald Guy Podcast with Jeff Brown and our guest, Dave Van Horn.